And please hear these words from Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. I will actually be reading from the New Living Translation of the Holy Bible. Think of it this way. If a father dies and leaves an inheritance for his young children, those children are not much better off than slaves until they grow up, even though they actually own everything their father had. They have to obey their guardians until they reach whatever age their father set. And that's the way it was with us before Christ came. We were like children. We were slaves to the basic spiritual principles of this world. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us, who were slaves to the law, so that we could adopt, so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba. Father, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, today we continue our Lenten series, Prepare the Way, Celebrating Christ's Victories. <clears throat> this week we focus on victory over exclusion and the love of Christ that adopts all of us into the family of God. Well, when I was nearing my graduation for my nursing degree at Ball State University up in Muncie, I had my mandatory studies completed during the last semester of college. However, I was lacking three credit hours for a final elective class, and the only one that I could fit into my schedule was an evening course in ancient mythology with a professor that did not like students. Mm. No mercy. He and his class were tough. But did you know that Robigus and Robigo were two Roman gods to ward off blight of cornfields and the harvest. This brother and sister duo were celebrated during April at a festival called Robigalia with chariot races and like many Greek and Roman festivals ended with animal sacrifice. In this festival specifically the sacrifice of one sheep and one dog. And now I gotta tell you after dissecting toads and piglets in a physiology lab all day the last thing I wanted to hear about was more animal sacrifices. So although the professor was a great storyteller, I remember very little about the gods I never heard of or even cared about because I subconsciously blocked it all out. Useless material, but necessary for graduation. And I think the Apostle Paul may have felt the exact opposite of my mythology professor though, when he wrote his letter to the Christians in Galatia. Paul cared very much for them and was hopeful that the Galatians were not returning to their old ways of worshiping false gods like Hermes and Zeus, as was written in verse 8. But he was much more concerned about this group falling prey to the curse of the law 
meaning the Mosaic Law, found in the first five books of the Bible. We refer to these as the Pentateuch. The word Pentateuch comes from a combination of the Greek word penta, meaning five, and tukos, which can be translated scroll. Also known as the Torah, which is the Hebrew word meaning law, and was used as instructions on how to properly worship and honor God through various commands and requirements. But what did Paul mean when he spoke of the law in the scripture we just read, and that we're no longer a slave to the law? Well, let's look at the prior chapter to help us with that. In Galatians 3.13, Paul writes that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As Christians, we must still maintain the ethical and moral commands found in the law, the commandments. But Jesus explains it even further in Luke 24, just before his ascension to heaven when he spoke to the disciples. Then he said, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. So Jesus fulfilled that law by dying on the cross. What do you think was meant when Jesus declared, it is finished before he died? Watch this. What did Jesus mean when he said, it is finished? Of the last sayings of Christ on the cross, none is more important or more poignant than it is finished. Found only in the Gospel of John, the Greek word translated, it is finished, is tetelestai, an accounting term that means paid in full. When Jesus uttered these words, he was declaring the debt owed to his father was wiped away completely and forever. Not that Jesus wiped away any debt that he owed to the father, rather Jesus eliminated the debt owed by mankind, the debt of sin. Just prior to his arrest by the Romans, Jesus prayed his last public prayer, asking the father to glorify him just as Jesus had glorified the Father on earth, having finished the work you have given me to do. The work Jesus was sent to do was to seek and save that which is lost, to provide atonement for the sins of all who would ever believe in him, and to reconcile sinful men to a holy God. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sin against them and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. None other but God in the flesh could accomplish such a task. Also completed was the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecies, symbols, and foreshadowings of the coming Messiah. From Genesis to Malachi, there are over 300 specific prophecies detailing the coming of the Anointed One, all fulfilled by Jesus. From the seed who would crush the servant's head, to the suffering servant of Isaiah 53, to the prediction of the messenger of the Lord, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the Messiah. All prophecies of Jesus' life, ministry, and death were fulfilled and finished on the cross. 
Although the redemption of mankind is the most important finished task, many other things were finished at the cross. The sufferings Jesus endured while on earth, and especially in his last hours, were at last over. God's will for Jesus was accomplished in his perfect obedience to the Father. Most importantly, the power of sin and Satan was finished. No longer would mankind have to suffer the flaming arrows of the evil one. By raising the shield of faith in the one who completed the work of redemption and salvation, we can, by faith, live as new creations in Christ. Jesus' finished work on the cross was the beginning of new life for all who were once dead in trespasses and sins, but who are now made alive with Christ. Got questions? The Bible has answers, and we'll help. You know, much of what we do today comes from our own experiences and perceptions of the world around us. We base our bias, our judgments, our reactions, our faith journeys on a fallen world. How many of you have ever visited the eye doctor for a checkup? Yeah, quite a few of you, and he invariably asks you, which one is better? This one or this one? We judge things based on our senses. In this case, we often judge by only what we see. Awesome job! You know what I'm thinking? Snack time! <laughs> Hey, let's see what we have here. Which one do you want? That wasn't nice of Rachel. Where did she pick up those greedy tendencies? Taking both apples and biting into them. That's so unlike her. Sometimes it's so hard to tell what truth is, even if it's right in front of us. As Christians, many of us just received a mark of faith with the imposition of ashes on Ash Wednesday. It was pretty clear, at least, who was a person of faith with the mark of the cross on our foreheads. But that didn't tell us much about our hearts, did it? But let's experiment a little. Let's do this vision test and answer these questions. Who is the bigger sinner or who is the more righteous person in these pictures? Ready? Darth Vader or Mother Teresa? <laughs> Vladimir Zelensky or Vladimir Putin? Bishop Julius Trimble or Pastor Nicole. <laughs> the guy sitting in the third row in the choir on the right, or the lady who sings from the second row 
on the left. Again, who is the bigger sinner or more righteous? You or me? So how do we know what is specifically in the hearts and minds of others? Like the little girl eating the apples. Do we have a propensity to judge others based on what we do see? Or do we pause to consider what we do not see? Like inside a person's mind or in their heart, like God does. So who should we exclude from salvation and heaven? Will we be standing at the pearly gates with God to tell him who should be saved and who shouldn't? Or who should we forgive and not forgive? If we believe that God has forgiven our sins, our sins, then who are we not to forgive theirs? I don't know. God has been at this forgiveness thing for a very long time. I don't believe any of us are qualified to be telling God what to do or who to exclude from external life in heaven. Should we keep them away because they are less righteous or a bigger sinner than us? Speaking of exclusion, John Wesley, founder of Methodism, comes to mind. Do the names Mary Vazile, Grace Murray, Betty Kirkham, or Sophie Hopke sound familiar to you? Well, these were John Wesley's girlfriends. He eventually married Mary, also known as Molly, but Sophie Hopke was the girlfriend that waited and waited and waited for John to propose marriage. So after dragging his feet for too long, Sophie married another gentleman. That spurned and angered John Wesley to the point when Sophie came to his church to receive the gift of Holy Communion, John Wesley blocked her from doing so. He refused to let her participate. Well, Sophie's new husband was furious that his wife was excluded from this holy sacrament. So he filed a lawsuit, and John Wesley left the country and went back to England. This was a dark time in John Wesley's life due to his poor judgment and intolerance of others. As Christians, we don't block the path to God, we build it. And like John Wesley, we're all prone to faulty judgments and mistakes. When we judge someone who is different than us in some way, or judge a situation that might frighten us or confuse us, do we truly ask God for guidance in our judgment of the person or the circumstance? Do we harvest by the fruit of the Spirit in humbled regard? Or are we fighting a battle just to be right rather than doing what is right? For Jesus says in Matthew 9:13, now go and learn the meaning of this scripture. I want you to show mercy, not offer sacrifices. For I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. In God's world, all humbled believers are included 
As you came into the sanctuary today, you should have received two small stones. Take them home and do this. On the first stone, write the word me on it. Put it next to your nightstand. Let it remind you that none of us should be excluding or casting stones at one another. Then take the second stone and write something positive on it, maybe the shape of a cross or a heart or the word love or anything that's joyful, maybe even just a happy face. Take it to the store with you and tuck it in the bread aisle or in the dog food aisle, maybe on top of a gas pump, just somewhere that someone will find it and then you walk away. Thank God as you leave this note behind because he's going to bring someone to find that note at a time when they need it most. Kind of like a candid camera for God. And perhaps planting a seed for yet another new disciple of Jesus Christ for the transformation of this world. May it be so, Jesus. May it be so. Let us pray. Almighty God, help us to find the lost sheep, the other sinners like us, who need the hope of Christ our Lord, so that they too can become adopted into your eternal heavenly family. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.